All right, guys, I'm in Luke chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 35. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. We've got a big chunk of scripture to carry uh, or to get through, and so I had this long, elaborate uh, introduction that I'm going to cut uh, so that, you know, it's not one o'clock by the time we get out. So um, we're, I'm aware you guys come hungry. So, um, But uh, last week we talked about God as our provider, and, and we really said that... Uh, it's silly to worry that worry is a waste of time because God is provider. That's who he is. And we can't ever be provider. So that's what worrying is. Worrying is when we, uh, biblically speaking, when we are the ones that believe it is our job to be provider uh, or it's our job to be like God in that sense. And, and God, meanwhile, says, hey, there's, there's more to life than stuff. Um, a, a man's life isn't about what he has, right? Uh, there's more to life than this, than, than just the stuff of this world. And so God called us last week to get our priorities straight, to be focusing on the kingdom of God, uh, investing in the kingdom of God, and then he had this great promise. If you do that, if you can do that, if you'll seek him first, he's going to give you all that other stuff. He's going to provide for all that other stuff anyway, because he is provider, and he's your loving father who longs to, uh, when you ask for fish, actually give you fish and not snake, uh, not a snake, okay? And so we kind of got into all that. That stuff. Well, this week we're going to pick up that same theme, uh, this, this kingdom of God, that investing in the kingdom of God, kingdom living, is really what life is all about. You're going to, you're going to sense that um, very much so in the text that we find ourselves in. Um, but before we, we get there, um, let's pause and pray, if you don't mind. Uh, again, um, we're going to be in Luke 12, starting verse 35. Father, um, we come before you, and um, God, I'm reminded of the three families in the first service who had just lost a loved one. We come before you and we realize that uh, there's still attack and it's still real. And we come lifting up those. We lift up those that are sick, those that aren't here with us today. Uh, God, we want to pray for them. We pray for strength. Some of the families I see today, I'm seeing their faces for the first time in several weeks. They've been out uh, because we had little ones that just seem to keep cycling through that stuff going around. And God, we want to pray for strength and endurance. Uh, Lord, most of all, right now, right here, we want to pray for the guidance of your Spirit. Um, your, your Word promises us that you have sent us the Holy Spirit, who is God, and that the Holy Spirit has come to be our teacher and to be our, our guide. And so, Holy Spirit, I want to invite you right now to come and take your place. And we step down from ours. We invite you to come and to, to lead us in the ways of Jesus, to teach us from the inside out that we might be changed uh, because of what we hear. And we ask all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, all right, this morning, guys, I'll just tell you, we're going to talk about Christ's return. We're going to talk about Christ's return. That's where we're going to be. That is the heart of this passage. It's about being ready. Uh, we sing about it, right? We, we, all our songs had to do with, with being ready. So now let's see if we are ready, okay? Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35. Uh, Jesus says, Be dressed and ready for service. And keep your lamps burning. Like men that are waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and he knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. He'll have them recline at the table, and he'll come and he will wait on them. It'll be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or the third watch of the night. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asks, 
Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? Remember, they're surrounded by thousands upon thousands, so many so they were trampling upon them. And the Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he'll put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the men's servants and the maid servants and to eat and to drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He'll cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Got three things we're going to try to get through this morning. I'll see if I can make through uh, all of them before lunch break hits, okay? Uh, but here, here's the first. And some of this wording is going to sound familiar to you because we covered this when we talked about spiritual warfare. But I want you to write it down anyway. It's really important. I want you to understand this morning uh, that according to our text, our text, every area of our lives must be cinched up in Jesus so that we are ready to run, to work, and to serve. Every area of our life has to be cinched up in Jesus so that we are ready to run, um, ready to work, and ready to serve. And, and so this whole discourse is about being ready for Christ's return, okay? Which is weird because Jesus hasn't gone anywhere yet, right? Okay? In this moment, in this instance, Jesus is with his disciples during his first coming, right? He, he hasn't even made it to Jerusalem yet, but we know that his ministry has radically changed. It did that a couple chapters ago in Luke, and, and, and he set his face to the cross. So Jesus is no longer doing the mass healings. We don't see those great big miracles where thousands of, of people are gathered to see him. Thousands still flock, but now when they come, he's just teaching. Teaching, okay, And so, so thousands are here, but Jesus is just teaching. And what he's teaching about is the coming kingdom of God, right? The kingdom that's been inaugurated in his first coming, but, but is going to be fulfilled in his second. And, and now he's kind of saying, like, listen, guys, I want you to understand how the, all this is going to go. And he's talking specifically to his disciples, but the crowd can kind of hear. And he's saying, like, listen, I'm the master, that's me. I'm your master, the one that you call Lord and teacher. I'm going to go away. Okay, He's getting them ready for the kingdom of God. He says, listen, the master is going to go away. And when I go away, I need you to know there's some things that you have to do. Okay, And, and eventually, I'm going to come back. And here's the deal. You're not going to know when that's going to happen. Like, like in fact, the text kind of implies it could be a long time. right? He's implying to, to his followers, like it could be the second or the third watch at night. Uh, it, it says he, he waited a long, long while. And, and he, the, the one manager even doubted whether or not he was going to return. And he got long into laziness and, and became an abuser of grace, right? And, and, and so Jesus is going, like, you have to be on guard because I am going away. And, and when I go away, there's an expectation for you. There's an expectation for, for you um, when I go away. And that expectation is that you would be ready. You'll be ready for my return. Now, the question is, how do we do that? What does that mean, Right? If, if Jesus says to his followers, like, hey, you better be ready when I come back, I think that's pretty important, right? 
Anybody else think that's important? Okay. See, see, because Jesus tells his followers, like, you don't know when it's going to be, but you can take this to the bank. It is happening. The return of Jesus Christ, my friends, is imminent. It is going to happen. So then this call to readiness is very, very important in the life of the believers. Uh, and, and by the way, that, that is the age that we find ourselves in, this waiting age. And so, so, so here he says, this is what I want you to do. And it's all kind of wrapped up in verse 35. He says, be dressed and ready for service and keep your lamps burning like men uh, like men that are waiting for their master return from a wedding banquet, so that when he appears, as soon as he knocks on the door, you're ready to, to open it. And, and it's interesting. He says, be dressed and ready for service. That, that word, that phrase is actually pretty familiar to us because we studied it when we talked about spiritual warfare. When, when, it, when, it, when it talked about um, being ready for spiritual battle in, in the book of Ephesians, and we went through that for a couple of weeks because the battle here has been so great. And, and, and you'll remember at one point it talks about the belt of truth, and, and Paul writes, you have to gird up your loins with the belt of truth. You've got to gird up your loins. And so I showed you guys a picture of what Roman soldiers kind of looked like. And, and, and typically everybody in the day wore tunics, and especially those that are going out in the field. And what they would have to do is they'd have to cinch them up, and then they'd have to take them, and then they'd have to tuck them, and then you would pull it up from here, and you tie it, and your belt would keep all that from coming undone. Now, why was that important? Because battle in that day was largely hand-to-hand combat. See, and if you're walking around in hand-to-hand combat with a tunic that wasn't tucked, guess what? I, it's pretty easy for me to grab a hold of you and throw you to the ground and slay you. And that's what the enemy is trying to do with us. And so he said in that moment, like, we've got to have every air of our lives cinched up in Jesus. And then we also said, we're going to take note of the fact that it says, gird up your loins, right? It didn't say, gird up your chest. It said, gird up your loins. And loins are kind of private, aren't they? We talked about those things in our lives that we don't like to talk about. Our marriages, you know when our marriages are struggling? As Christians, we typically don't run to another Christian brother or say, hey, I'm struggling, right? Our finances, do you know that when Christians are in debt, they tend to hide it longer than somebody that's not? Isn't that crazy? Like somehow we're, we're ashamed, okay? Like, yeah, you're in debt, but hey, this is the community to talk about it in, right? Okay, this is the place to bring it. And, and, and so when, when, I, when I tell you, I, I believe that it's biblically important that it says gird up your loins. Gird up even the most private places, your marriage, your finances, your debt. Like, like everything needs to be in check and tucked in with Jesus so that the enemy has no place to grab you or to throw you. But I want you to know that girding up your loins wasn't just about spiritual warfare. It was also about spiritual progress. See, Roman soldiers weren't the only ones that girded up their loins. Athletes were too. If you were going to run in a race, typically, same kind of thing. A lot of times you had a tunic. You're going to run. You would gird up your tunic. You'd gird up your loins, and, it, and you'd run, right? You, you would run, and, and it just makes me think of Hebrews 12.1. It says, therefore, dear brothers, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, I've got that slide up there, guys, if you want to throw that up there. Uh, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And so this girding up of the loins, this, this getting dressed, right, is good for spiritual warfare and it's good for spiritual progress. You know what else it's good for? Spiritual work. It's good for spiritual work. I'm, guys, I, I hate to break the news to you, but do you know that kingdom work is very hard? It really is. Somebody preached you a false gospel somewhere and they told you that everything with Jesus was supposed to be easy. They lied. They lied. You know what? The Christian life isn't just hard, it's impossible. It is. I mean, there's the truth, right? It's not just hard to follow Jesus. It's impossible on your own and by yourself. And 
And there's a lot of hard work involved, and, and, and it's nothing that we do on our own, right? It's a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. None of it saves us, by the way. That's a false gospel narrative, that somehow my work is what saves me. I'm saved by God's grace alone, okay? Faith's the vehicle by which I fall into that. But a result of my faith and my salvation is that I work, that I spend my life working for the one that has saved me. That's, that's what I want to do. And the work is hard. You know why? Because you have an enemy that hates you and opposes you. Right? I mean, I mean, when God's children were called to rebuild the walls, you know that people attacked them? Do you know that some people were laying bricks with one hand and holding a sword with the other? Does that sound easy to you? Right? So, so where do we get off thinking that somehow the Christian life is supposed to be easy, that there's never going to be difficulties? Friends, if there's not difficulties, we'll never turn to God. Right? I mean, that's why we're supposed to consider it pure joy, my brothers. When we face difficulties of, of, or trials of many kinds, right? Because those things make us rely on God. And so this thing that you're going through, whatever you're experiencing today, some of you are here and you're tired and you're weary and you're worn out and you're like, I, I, God, I'm, I'm almost done. I thought it was supposed to be easier than this. I, you read a false gospel. It's not easy work. It's hard work. And I want you to see the beauty of this. God knows it. And he says, listen, I want you to gird up your loins for hard work even. Um, Proverbs 31 talks about the wife of noble character, and I think it's awesome that we have a woman in the Bible that girds up her loins. Proverbs 31:17 says she girds herself, same phrase, she girds up her loins with strength and, and makes her arms strong. It goes on to talk about how she takes care of her family and provides. Dude, life is hard. How, how many ladies out here would say that your family um, can be a little bit of a burden on you? You say that lovingly, right? It's tough being a mama. It's tough being a wife, isn't it? I'll, I'll be honest, man. I'd hate to be one of those. Golly. Man, you guys got it tough. Like, I mean, just childbirth alone, that part, you guys are wrong into that deal, you know? I mean, and, and that's, just, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's difficult, and it's hard work doing what God has called us to do. That's what I love about this woman. She girds herself up. So, so listen, it's about spiritual warfare. It's about spiritual progress. It's about spiritual work. It's also about spiritual service. Girding up your loins, being dressed and ready, has to do with our service to the kingdom. That's actually the, the phrase that's used in this passage. It says, you've got to gird your loins and be ready for when Jesus returns. You've got to be ready, okay? So it's a big deal. It's a big deal, and, uh, and, and I, I, just, I, I want you to understand what is, is at stake, okay? Being dressed and, and being ready is, is crucial. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. I realized last night as I went through the sermon, I usually go over it a few times, then in the morning as well, I ask a lot of questions this morning, okay? So just be prepared. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. So here's the question I want, I want to ask you. I, I, I do it with all sincerity. Um, how tightly... Is your life tucked away in Jesus right now? If he says, I'm coming back, and you don't know when, but here's the key. You have to be ready, right? I mean, I mean let's be, be dressed and ready for service. If, if we're supposed to be doing something right now, and that something involves being dressed to uh, fight and to run, and to work, and to serve. And the key to all of that is is having all those baggy exterior areas tucked up into Jesus well, right? And and some of you know exactly what I mean, because the moment I talk about serving God, you're thinking, I don't do that much. And one of the reasons you don't do that much is because there are areas of your life that are not tucked into Jesus. 
and they eat up your time, and they eat up your energy, and they eat up your effort, amen, right? Because you know it, you feel it, you, you, you sense it. You, sometimes we feel like failures, right? And, and so what I'm telling you, I'm just asking, how tightly is your life tucked away in Jesus today? Because if it's not, I'm, I'm here to tell you, man, the enemy will be all over you. All over you. Look at the marriage that's under attack because the family is in great debt and the debt has gotten worse because they have never shared it with anyone else. Right? Look at every secret sin that has ever been the downfall of a believer. Everything that they tried to keep hidden. Gird up your loins. Okay? Even the most private places, tuck them tightly into Jesus. All right? It's important. Number two. I want you to understand that while we wait for Jesus, we must daily do what we know to do. Okay, while we wait for Jesus, we must daily do what we um, know to do. And, and, and there are some things that I think are important. Verse 40 is very important in this passage. Verse 40, uh, he says, You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour that you don't expect Him. Okay? So, like, you're, you're not going to... Mark goes further in his gospel. Mark says this in Mark 13, 32. He says, but about the day or the hour, no one knows. Nobody knows. Not even the angels, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let the gravity of that sink in for a moment for all of you that are big into the, um, the big theology word for end times is eschatology. All of you that like eschatology. All of you that are big into the... Uh, um, oh, come on, what are the books? The books... Uh, Left behind, yes, all you, all my left behind friends. Like this is this is free. Like like you just need to understand. Tell how much I read them. Um, it, it, like literally, the gospel says that no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, um, but only the Father. Yet we we spend an infinite amount of time trying to figure things out. And so the first thing I want you to know, I want you to see, is like like the the time. It says we are not going to know. Um, second, I, I would say it's implied to you that the time is going to be a long way off at the at the moment it's spoken. Now, having said that, the moment it was spoken was a long time ago, right? So, so think about this with me, church. That was spoken a long time ago. What age are we in? We're, we're currently living in the church age. That is the waiting period. The church age is going to end, okay, when Jesus comes back. So this age, we are in the waiting period. This is the warning to us, right? Like, you better be ready. You better be ready. He could come back at any moment. Uh, Alan said that in the early service. He could come back now. He could come back today. It could be tomorrow. Like, we do not know, but we do know that this is the period we're in, this, this period we're supposed to be waiting. And finally, and what the text would tell us is that many are going to be shocked when he returns. Many are going to be surprised because they were lulled because of a long wait into laziness. And they got lazy. And they stopped being alert and, and awake and, and being prepared. They let their, their lamps go dim. Okay? And, and so we have to understand the text. Now, now so, so look at this. What, what then, if we're in a waiting period, what is it that we're supposed to be doing while we wait? That should be the question of every believer. Amen? Like, what, what am I supposed to do? Like, Jesus says, I'm coming back, you better be ready. Okay? If Jesus tells you to be ready, should you be ready? Right? Amen. Right? Right? I'm looking at you, Meredith. The doctor says, you better be ready soon. You better be, she's like, I am more than ready. I'm more than ready, right? I mean, because when, when somebody in authority says, hey, you better be ready, now Jesus has all authority. So the one with all authority of our heaven and earth says, you better be ready. We need to take that seriously. So then the question is, how, uh, how, how am I ready or what do I need to do? And what's the key to the passage? Here's the key, ready? The key to the entire passage is the servants. The servants in this passage, get this, they are judged and rewarded 
based on whether or not they are doing what they know to do. They're not judged based on any mystical knowledge. They're not judged based on their ability to to tell the exact moment or hour that the Master is coming back. They are judged on whether or not they are being faithful in doing what they know to do. You see, every servant has a job, don't they? That's part of the title of servant. They have something that they're doing. And here's the implication of the text. Uh, Jesus is saying, you're doing it well now, but I'm going away. Will you do it when I'm not here? Right? We we all work pretty good when our boss is in the office, don't we? (laughs) But what about when he's got a sick day? How's that go? What about when that sick day turns into a sick week or a sick month or what if he's gone for several years? How will the office be when he returns, I wonder? And Jesus saying in a greater, godlier, higher, holier way, that's what's going on here. She says, I'm going away and I'm not going to be with you any longer. How faithful will you be found I'm doing what I've instructed you to do? Which raises the question, what did he instruct us to do? Right? Because that's what the servant wants. The, the house has to be in order. Right? It's got to be picked up. Nothing worse. Anybody travel? Anybody a traveler? Anybody like to travel occasionally? Right? Anything, when you come home, right, and you've been out somewhere else, and it doesn't matter, and like, I get it. Like, we have four kids. They're destruction, like, they just, well, I mean, one of them alone, which, goodness, she's in a cast right now, and she can still tear things up. It's ridiculous. One kid alone can destroy everything, but when you come back from a long trip, that's like the one thing. I want to walk into my house and go, oh, it smells good in here. Oh, look, everything's clean. It's just like, even if it's just for a day, right? To return to order and not chaos. For that to happen, everybody in my house has to do their job. My kids actually have to do their chores. So I don't look at their mom when I come home and things are, I look at them going, what, have you not helped mom out while I've been gone? Right? You knew what you, you knew. We have the chores listed. It's pretty, so, so here's the deal. Jesus is going to return. He expects his house to be in order and his servants to be waiting and expecting his return. What are we supposed to be doing while we wait? Ready? We're supposed to be doing, we're going to be judged, rewarded for our faithfulness in doing what we know we're supposed to do. What do we know we're supposed to do? Okay? I'm going to make it very simple for you. We're supposed to be great. Just write it down somewhere. If you're ever confused about what you're supposed to be doing, just try to keep it, keep it in mind, ready? Just, just write down, be great, okay? Be, be, about, be about that what is great. You say, what, what does that mean, okay? Two things, ready? First of all, the, the great commandments, okay? Like, Given to it. If there was anything as a Christian you're called to do in your life, Somebody says, Master, what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, right? If there was one thing in my life I was going to spend my time, my energy, and my effort doing, what's the one thing I should do? And Jesus says, love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. There you go. Love God. Like, like while we wait, when we come back, to be dressed, to be ready, the, the, the number one thing we need to do, the number one command we need to follow, is we better be found faithfully loving God. Right? And loving God looks like personal devotion, first and foremost, right? It looks like personally following, personally being passionate about the things of God, spending time with God, reading His Word, praying to God, right? Having a love relationship. Like, like it doesn't work to just do this occasionally. How many of you are married? Anybody? Okay. You that are married better raise your hand because you're sitting next to your spouse. It's a rough morning, huh? I guess. Ugh. My wife's not here. She would have been that one. If you're married, um, you know what doesn't work very well? Just spending time with your spouse once a week doesn't work very well. 
Doesn't. Doesn't work real well. You try it. No, don't really. Be bad. Be in a... You tried it. If you only spent time with your spouse once a week, and at that you only, you only, you only gave her uh, or him an hour and 15 minutes. Said, listen, I, that's, that's, all. that's all I've got for you. I'm going to give you an hour and 15 minutes this week. We're going to cram it into one session, okay? Well, by the way, during that session, I'm going to stand up some. I'm going to sit down some. I'm going to go through the motions a little bit. But you give me for an hour and 15 minutes. I wonder how your marriage would be. And yet for many Christians today, it's not even an hour and 15 minutes a week because most Christians go to church every third week. You do that math, right? What's 75 divided by three? I think it's 25 minutes. You're giving God 25 minutes a week of, of personal pouring out devotion and love, right? That, that doesn't work. A relationship works when we spend time and we invest. Like my wife and I don't just talk once a week, imagine that. We talk every day. We talk multiple times a day. We, we invest in one another. When the kids go to bed, we celebrate. It is like a celebration in our house every, every time the children go to bed. And if they ever go to bed without fighting, oh my gosh, watch out, we're having a party. Right? I mean, it's like a honeymoon. It, it, I mean, it would just every... Woo! The kids woke up one time when we lived in Borger. They woke up, I lie to you not. We were actually changing the channel, and we had walked in the other room. We were watching something on DVR, right? And it had stopped, and, and the last show that had been on was Disney. So they came downstairs. We're in the, we're in the other room. We, we walk out with ice cream, and when they come downstairs, we're eating ice cream, and, the, and what had just come on was Phineas and Ferb, right? Which at the time, they were huge Phineas. So they walked... When, when we go to sleep, you guys eat ice cream and watch cartoons? And you know what? We played it up, too. We're like, every single night, go back to bed. We've been doing it 18 years, and I would tell you that we're still married today because we intentionally spend time talking to one another. How's your relationship with God going, your love relationship? How much time are you spending with him? The, the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is to love God with everything that you are. And so that starts personally, but it also, it, it's corporately too, right? And we talk about this, this church thing, this experience where we cry out to God. We said, we're going to sing to him, sing to him, sing to him. We, we read the psalm. Did you do it? Did you really? So, so, so it's a big deal. So, so first, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love God. What's the second thing? He says, in the second commandment, it's like it. Like, you've got to be great at loving one another. This is Love your neighbor as yourself. And the Bible kind of starts with one another, by the way, for Christians. You start by loving one another, right? And what does that mean? That means biblical community. But what do we do? We like to live in isolation because we don't want other Christians knowing our stuff. We think other Christians are going to judge us, which is stupid, by the way. I love you. It's dumb. You need to dismiss it. You, you, don't, need to, you don't need to expel other people from your dirtiness. You need to call them into it. So that they can help you. Like, like, listen, Christianity is founded upon fellowship with God and with one another. First John, he says, we write this that you might have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with God the Father. Like, like, like listen, this is the heart of God is that you're created to live in Christian fellowship. Because this life is very hard and you cannot do it on your own or by yourself. Okay? You need the Father, Son, the Spirit, and one another. That's what you need. I wore a shirt yesterday, our soccer game. Iron sharpens iron. I need iron in my life. I need men that are going to come and make me better. Okay? You need Christian fellowship. So first of all, I would say, when it talks about loving others, you say, what am I supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be living in biblical community. 
Yet again, most Christians show up at church one day a week for an hour and 15 minutes, and that is enough for them. And they only do it every third week. And we wonder why we're struggling. You've got to be in biblical community. You've got to love one another. But then beyond loving one another, you've got to love the difficult people of the world. Right? And there are some difficult people in the world. Amen? Woo! Right? But that's our call. Our call is to love them. Right? Our call is to love them. That means that we have to stop caring so much about our own opinions. Right? Facebook. Okay, we've got to start expressing a genuine love and care for, for one another. This is not the place for politics, right? This isn't the place to spout what we believe about, about conservatism or non I mean, I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, people need to know that God loves them. That's what they need to know. And so we've got to have a love for our neighbor that goes beyond what we personally think is, is going on with, with America or not. Because I, I've read the Bible. Uh, uh, USA's not in there. It's not. There's, it's the kingdom of God. And so I'm, I'm going to tell you, so what am I supposed to be doing? Ready? Here we go. Ready? You are supposed to be great. Focusing on, on greatness. Ready? Loving God, the greatest commandment. Loving God with everything that you are. Loving your neighbor. Loving one another. Okay? But then uh, he says, uh, not just that. Jesus goes on and said, I've also got something else great for you. I've got a great commission. There's a great task you're supposed to be working on. Ready? That task, uh, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, I say to you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Here's God's call on your life if you're just trying to figure it out, if you're trying to wonder. Like God has you where you are so that you can love Him, love one another, and make disciples. That is, that is why we're here. We are here, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. That's actually why we have breath in our lungs. Right? To worship God, to love people, and to make disciples. That's why we exist. And so I'd ask this question. I'm so far off my notes at this point. I'd ask this question. Uh, who are you discipling? If I could invade your private space right now. I talked with somebody this week, and they said, you know, you should point out the fact that, you know, it's like, like hey, we, we like to, well, right now I'm in a phase that I'm discipling my children. Yeah, that's great. You get a C. You're expected to. I mean, that's like actually commanded Deuteronomy 6. Right? Well, I'm discipling my wife. Well, that's good. You're doing more than most of us as husbands, right? You're doing awesome. He, he, he was like, that, that's, you should tell him that's a B. And he said, but who else are we discipling, honestly, truthfully? And, and, and some people struggle. What does it mean to disciple somebody? It, it actually says teaching them everything, that I, everything you know. That's discipling somebody. Can I ask you, who in your life right now are you pouring into their lives with Jesus? Who? Because if we're not doing something, and, and this, guys, by the, we're going to be judged on this, okay? Jesus is coming back, and he says, you, you, should, you should be dressed and ready. You should be doing what I've told you to do. What has he told us to do? To love him, to love others, and to do what? To make disciples. So what are we making? Comfortable houses? What, what, are, what are we making? Right? Clean cars? What, what, what are we making? The call of every Christian is to make disciples. Make disciples. Now, now listen, this has some massive implications for us because I want you to notice, again, what's not here. What's not expected. Do you know that these people aren't accept, expected necessarily to know exactly what the seven bowls of God's wrath are in the book of Revelation? Did you notice that? It, it wasn't required. It wasn't part of the test. 
Do you know that they weren't required to, to be able to interpret appropriately every major news event in the world or act of terrorism as to how that correlates to the date, the exact date or hour of the master's return? wasn't part of the test. What was the test? Are they doing their job? I know a lot of you don't like the Patriots, especially after this last Super Bowl. But you know their coach? Their coach has a saying. Do your job. Dude's won a lot of Super Bowls. <laughs> okay, listen. We are going to be judged upon Christ's return. Not based on our estimation of when he was going to come back, but based on the fact that we have prepared our lives for his second coming, and we are consistently doing our job. That we are committed to loving God, we are committed to loving people, and we are committed and are actively making disciples. It's huge. Last thing I'll share with you, and we've got to wrap up. Let me, let, me, let me do this before I get to three, okay? Um, I, a uh, long time ago, I, I, I questioned God about this, by the way. You guys never question God, right? You guys, y'all, you and him, y'all are perfect, right? You guys never. I was, I was upset about some suffering uh, in the world and in my youth ministry, my very first church. And I really, I kind of got angry with God. And I was like, why? Why are we still in go, going through? Like, God, why, I'm tired of waiting. Like, Jesus, why haven't you come back already? Anybody ever been there? Is it just me? I'm the only sinner in the room. Right? Just me. So, so okay, six, six of us together, collectively, all six of us, have, have God, when are you coming back? Like, I'm tired of it. Like, I mean, I, mean, we, 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 I lost people I love this week, dear members of this church, and, and it's hard. And you, Jesus, why, why, why are we still waiting? Why aren't you coming back? And so I want to share with you graciously, and he very tenderly shared this with me, but it still hurt. Uh, it, it's Second Peter 3.9. Um, and I, I was asking God that question, and he led me to this verse. And it says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Ready? Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Do you notice who God is patient with? It's not, it's not just that he's patient with the sinners. He's patient with the saints. God is patient with me because I have been lulled into laziness. Because I am not actively making disciples. I am not actively being the light of the world that Jesus has called me to be. And so when I say, God, why aren't you coming? He lovingly says, my child, why aren't you doing? Why aren't you doing what I've called you to do? Okay. Third thing I'll share with you very quickly. I want you to see this morning that faithful servants will experience the fullness of God's love. Faithful servants will experience the fullness of God's love. Verse 37, something miraculous happens. Um, You couldn't even imagine it happening in that day and age. But the master comes home. He finds faithful servants. And you know what he does? He hikes up his garment. He girds up himself. He he throws them a party. And he gets on his knees and serves them. That's what happens. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's one of those beautiful moments, right? Have you ever read the Bible and thought, I wish I could have been there? Anybody? Um, for me, it's the miracles of Jesus. I want to be there for everyone. I want to be a fly on the wall, right? Like, like in the early service, I said, can you imagine what it would have been like? You, you know, you're one of the disciples, and by the way, they weren't all polished and pure and awesome, right? Uh, so like you're Matthew, and you're a tax collector that loves money, you know? And you've cheated a lot of people. You're the lowest of the low in society if you're Matthew, right? Or, or you're Peter. Um, you know, you're just out there, and you're, yeah, I'm going to do it. But you fail a lot in life, and uh, everybody knows it about you because you have a history, right? And, and so, so here you are, and you're with him, 
And he goes, he's like, hey, we're going to a party. And they go to a wedding. And guys, we had a good time. Some wine has been had. There's no more wine at the party. And then Jesus goes, hey, hey, go get me some of those 30-gallon uh, water jugs. Come, come check this out. Go grab those, right? And, and they bring in, and they just pour them. They fill them with water. And, and, and then Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, take a ladle out of that and give it a taste. And look on the face the moment that they taste it. It is the best wine they've ever had in their life. And all Jesus said was pour some water in there. And they begin to go, whoa, who is this Jesus, right? I, 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 I just wonder, and, and the first time that, 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 that a lame person jumped to their feet and started to walk, or a blind person, Jesus spits in the mud. They're like, oh my gosh, that's disgusting. Jesus spits in the dirt, and he wipes it in the dude's eyes, and he says, go wash off. And the guy washes off, and he's like, I can see. I wonder what it was like when Jesus comes walking out on the water in the middle of the storm, you know? I wonder what it was like to watch the feeding of the 5,000 when there's much more than 5,000 there, but that's just the number of men. And there's five little tiny barley loaves and a couple of fish. And yet the disciples had to keep coming back to What were they thinking upon their multiple 30 plus trips going to Jesus and, and handing out going, Oh my God. I mean, they, I, I bet they're looking at each other like, this is nuts. <laughs> Can you believe they're still feeding people and they pick up 12 massive baskets full of leftovers. When I read the Gospels, I I oftentimes think how awesome it would have been to be there. And yet, um, in John 13, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, Jesus does something amazing with his disciples. These guys are about to run from him. Um, Some are going to deny him this very evening. Um, One's going to betray him. And Jesus, it says in John 13, decides to show them, get this, the full extent of his love. Now, isn't that a term that should be reserved for the cross? He decides to show them the full extent of his love, and he takes off his outer garment, and he girds himself up, and he takes on the place of a servant, and Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, gets down and he washes the dirtiest part of humanity. What's the dirtiest part of your life, I wonder? I know that's a a, a humbling moment moment of humility, but here's the great promise of Scripture. If we are faithful, we will have an upper room moment eventually. The King of Kings will. I can't, I can't even, I, I think I'm going to be like Peter. No, Lord, you can't, you can't wash me. He's going to say, unless I, I wash you, you have no part of me. Let me do this. Let me show you how much I really, really, really love you. If we're faithful, we're going to have one of those moments. So let me tell you what I, I think we should do. I'm going to ask you some questions, because today is the day of questioning. And, uh, and what we're going to do is, is uh, Alan's going to come up here, and, and I'm just going to read you these questions. Don't try to answer them all right away, okay? I'm going to give you a chance. But in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to pray for us now. And I'm just going to guide you through these questions. Now, it would have been easy just to give you the application. I, I, I could tell you, you know, um, cinch up your life, do what you know, um, stay alert. I could do all those things for you. But ultimately, if you don't ask yourself these questions that's not going to matter. You're not going to do those things if you don't ask yourself these questions. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I do this. This is only the second time I've ever done this. Um, but, uh, but it's just a time of reflection between you and the Lord in a spirit of prayer. And I'm going to guide you through these questions. Now, here's the challenge. You actually have to write answers. Okay? Now, it, listen to me. There will be some that you don't have an answer for. And just write a question mark. You leave it blank. It's going to become a place, a point of prayer for you this week. Okay? But let's pray. Father, um, I love you. And I'm so thankful for your word. Uh, I'm so thankful for uh, your son, Jesus. Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you've done on our behalf. Uh, Holy Spirit, I'm so thankful for you. 
that you are, have not left us as orphans, um, but you've come to be our teacher and to be our guide, to be our ever-present um, source of strength and knowledge. And so we rely on you right now, Holy Spirit, um, and we pray that you would reveal um, things about us that we, we didn't even know. pray right now that you would reveal hidden motives of our heart that we didn't even know were there. And I pray that you would gently, tenderly, lovingly call us um, back into right life, right living, right behavior. Please, Jesus, we ask that in your holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you these questions. And again, this is a spirit of prayer. Um, don't cheat off your neighbor, okay? Because this isn't about what's going on in their life. It's just yours. If you write down their answer, it does nothing for you, okay? So this is just you, uh, between you and God. And, and let me ask you this first question. I just want you, once I ask it, you ask it of God. God, God, what am I doing? What am I doing, okay? And then, and then when he reveals it to you, you just write down the answer. And again, you may not have anything to write down. And, and for now, that's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay to stay blank. It's not going to be okay to stay with a question mark, but for now, it'll be okay. All right? So let's ask this first question. Ready? Number one. What am I, God, the spirit of prayer, remember, God, what am I doing to love you and to love people? God, what am I doing to love you and to love people? Honestly, ask that question. He, he'll, he'll, he'll loving, he'll be tender, but it might hurt a little. But just ask him, God, what am I doing? How am I personally pursuing you? What does my corporate worship life look like, right? How, am I living in biblical community? What am I doing to love you and to love people? Just ask God that. Give him a few seconds. When you get that down and you write an answer, you can look up here. That'll let me know when, when people are ready. lot of eyes up here. I think a lot of people have answered. Uh, remember, you can, you can finish it when you get home. It's okay. All right, let me ask you the second question. Ready? The, these are the easy ones, by the way. They get harder after this. Question number two, ready? How am I serving? Text says, be dressed and ready for service. This is about what Christ expects us to be doing, us to be serving, doing our job. So let me ask you that question. How are you serving? It does not have to be within the walls of this building that we typically call a church, but it does. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about the real church, you know, people. How are you serving God right now? Just write it down. Just answer that question, okay? And now, listen, you may, you, you may not be. And again, I just want you to write a question mark. Just, just like, I've got to come back to this. I'm not. God's going to help you answer that eventually. But I just want you to fill in that blank, okay? Have something there. Okay, now, those two were slow pitch. They really were. They were slow pitch softball. Now we're going to play baseball, okay? Now we're going to play baseball, and we're, we're going we're to step it up. This is fast pitch. Here we go. This is hard. These are not easy, but the, the, we have to answer these because there's an expectation. We're going to be judged. So let me ask you this question. This is tough. Ready? Who am I disciple? 
supposed to be doing something. And that thing we're supposed to be doing is making disciples. So let me ask you, who are you discipling? Some of the older men in this church, you know there's younger men in this church that are dying to be discipled. Same thing, we've got, we've got younger women dying to be discipled. And I, I, I say younger is anything under, under 40, right? I mean, 45, definitely. Ask yourself that question. Be serious. Who am I discipling? And if it's nobody, again, a question mark becomes a point of prayer. I think this might be the toughest question of all four. It's real. It's ugly. It's, it's, uh, there's, there's nothing hidden in it. It's, it. it's out there for everyone to see. And here, here's, here's the question. Last one, ready? What area of my life do I need to cinch up in order to do all these other things more effectively? Right? Because, friends, I'm going to tell you, if your marriage is not right, you can't do these other three things well. And your finances aren't right, you can't do these other things, things well. If, if you're running around like a crazy person, constantly chasing after your children, that's the society we live in. My wife and I have been having this conversation nonstop. You can't do these other three things well. You can't. This is a, this is a question about priorities and focus and what we're willing to give to Jesus and expose to the light. So be honest, be brutal. And answer that question, okay? And again, when you're done, just look up here. Okay, I can see you guys are like the first service. You cheated and you filled out all the answers beforehand. That's okay. Now let me ask you, how many people based on that sheet of paper in your hands right now would say, I have a little bit of work to do? So here's, here's your homework. Pray over this sheet of paper until you have answers in every blank. I'm going to say it again. Pray over this little slip of paper until you have answers in every single blank. Somebody says, Pastor, I've, I've, I've heard this sermon a million times. I know I'm supposed to love God. I know I'm supposed to love people, and I know that I'm supposed to make disciples. I've heard that preached a million different ways. Awesome. Go do it, and I'll be quiet. Go do it. Because until we become people of action, we must continually be reminded of what we're called to do. And that's what this text does for us today. Do what you know, because this is what we know. Jesus is coming back. And he will come back and judge and reward based on our faithfulness of doing our job. Be ready.